mansions. I know that. Many dwelling places. How, many, how long do I have on this subject? <laughs> we don't know a lot, but it's going to be good. Is there a window there too? Oh, in the morning. <laughs> well, the only one I don't go to is, a, is the north one. I don't look out the north window. <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all here tonight. Trust you're having a good week. I'm pretty sure uh, Vince and Albert are. <laughs> uh, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. We want to look at chapter 2 and verses 1 through 6 tonight. Uh, Paul's ministry at, at Thessalonica. That's what I've titled the message here. So uh, let's begin with a word of prayer here. Lord, again, we thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, Lord, the hope that we have. Uh, Lord, the hope beyond this life, uh, eternity with you. And uh, the best indeed is yet to be. So we sing your praises. And as we study tonight, we ask your blessing on our time in the word. Also, we pray for the Awana Youth Group Ministries. Thank you for those who serve, uh, the leaders, the workers. I pray that those ministries would be blessed as well this evening. So we commit our, our night to you now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the sound? Well, that's a furnace or the air or whatever. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, note on the overhead, we have the, the theme of the book of 1 Thessalonians, the day of Christ, Christ coming for the church, mentioned in every chapter. And then we have uh, the outline. We are now in chapter 2, the model ministers and, and their reward. Uh, you know, it's really amazing what happened at, at Thessalonica. Uh, Paul came into town, and the response from the church was amazing. It wasn't the church yet at that point. They were responding to become the church. Uh, they responded to the gospel ministry, and uh, many of them uh, got saved. In fact, uh, he, he describes it in this way. Uh, you look in, there in uh, chapter uh, 1, and he talks about how when he came, it, the gospel came in the power, uh, in power and in the Holy Spirit. Uh, lives were changed. They became followers, he says, followers of, of them and of the Lord. And he says uh, they really became an exemplary church in that the word sounded out from them in that whole, in that whole region. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of thing you want to have happen, right? You go somewhere, you lead them to the Lord, and uh, wow, they not just keep it to themselves. Now, they're, they're the real deal, and they're sharing with everybody in the whole area. This happened at Thessalonica. And then as you come down to verses <coughs> excuse me, 9 and 10, he describes their conversion, how they, they turned, he says, uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. So four descriptive words there. Uh, and uh, this describes a life-changing experience in the lives of, of these people. Note in verse 10, too, how he says, to wait for his son from heaven. This began right away from the moment of conversion. I mean, from the time they were saved, they were waiting for Jesus to come back. It wasn't like, well, they got saved, and as they went along in their theology, they thought, well, maybe, maybe the Lord will come. Uh, no, I think he taught them right from the beginning about the coming of Jesus Christ. And right from the very beginning is the emphasis here. They were waiting uh, for the Son to come from heaven. And notice it says, uh, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, <clears throat> well, they're waiting for the Son to come from heaven, who delivers us from the wrath. The sense is that they're waiting for Jesus to come and deliver them from the wrath uh, that is to come. Uh, now, 
some have said, well, maybe this is hell. But really, we've already, in salvation, been delivered from that wrath to come, right? I mean, we're not waiting for Jesus to deliver us from hell, right? No, right. <laughs> right. We're, we're not waiting for that because it's already happened. We've already been delivered. Uh, the one-time payment for, by Jesus Christ for our sins has delivered us forever and ever from uh, the punishment of hell. So we're not waiting for that. It's already happened in our lives as believers. But we are waiting for the Lord to deliver us from the wrath that is to come upon the world, the judgment that is going to come. The world is on a collision course with the wrath of God, with the day of the Lord's judgment. And uh, they were waiting for that. I think this church, right from the very beginning, was taught about the coming of Christ. We see it in every chapter. And uh, here we have it at the end of chapter 1. Well, that leads us into uh, chapter 2, and uh, where we have a... Uh, portrait of a model church, if you will, in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we have the portrait of a model ministry. So we've got a lot of models going on here, right? Model church, chapter 1. Model ministry, chapter 2. And uh, so let's, uh, let's have somebody read uh, verse 1. We'll just kind of take it a verse at a time here. Who wants to read verse 1 for us tonight? Yeah, Albert. Okay. There's, an, there's a real emphasis on what they know here, as we, as we will see. And there seems that there's a background concern that Paul is uh, addressing. So I say it seems that in the background there were those who were now attacking Paul's ministry and character. And so Paul appeals to the Thessalonians' firsthand knowledge of their integrity and that of their ministry. Paul did not like to defend himself, but at times he found it necessary to do so for the sake of the truth. And this is one of those times. And I think there are times where you do need to, uh, you know, you don't want to defend it in the flesh. But I think there's a spirit-filled way where sometimes you do have to defend your ministry. Uh, I have seen pastors who said, you know, there, there's a guy who, who's really causing a ruckus. And I'm thinking about a situation at a church, uh, this pastor I knew, and, and I still know him. But um, he pastored a church in Texas. And, uh, you know, there was a guy on the board who was really trying to oust the pastor. And uh, so he said, you know what, I'll be the bigger man, and I'll just step aside for right now, and, uh, you know, I'll let, I'll let you guys figure it out. Well, you know what happened? That guy was uh, a real stinker. <laughs> he ended up swaying enough of the guys that they ousted the pastor. The pastor got, was out. Well, he went on and had a fr fruitful ministry. The guy who caused all the trouble ended up being an adulterer and, you know, was, is completely out of the picture at this point now. I mean, his life is a mess. But, uh, you know, what I'm saying is, it may depend wise for that pastor not to fight in the flesh, but to say, hey, you know, uh, I need to stay in the, in the mix here a little bit. Paul did that. Paul's defending. He didn't say, well, you know what, I'm just going to let things take their course here. No, I see him wisely defending his ministry in a spirit-filled way here. And you'll see that as we work our way through the text here. Uh, he says, You yourselves know, brethren, uh, that our coming to you was not in vain. Uh, he appeals to their firsthand knowledge, and he does this repeatedly in this chapter. He does it in verse 1, he does it in verse 2, verse 5, verse uh, 10, and verse 11. So we see him consistently saying, You know, you know, you know. You know what I'm telling you. And so he's emphasizing this, perhaps with the problem being the Judaizers in the background who are attacking his ministry. We have a hint of that at the end of uh, chapter 2. 
as we will get there eventually. It seems that they were perhaps uh, slandering both his character and, and uh, the nature of his ministry. And he's saying, you know it was not in vain. You know how God used us. Let me take you back there and, and what happened there uh, when we came to you. And he's going to describe the nature of their ministry, how it was completely above board. It was completely a ministry of integrity. It's kind of sad when you have to remind people of that, but it seems like he, he was being attacked to where he felt he needed to reinforce uh, the credibility and the nature of their ministry. He says it was not in vain. It was not empty. Uh, vain is empty, useless. It was not empty. It was not useless, but rather it was fruitful. It was fruitful. We saw God work in, in a mighty way there. Uh, life-changing way as it came on the scene. Remember how he said there as he opened up the book, uh, how he talked of remembering without ceasing, verse 3, your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. So there was fruit in their life, so much so that he says in verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. How do you know if somebody is saved? Well, ultimately, God makes the final call. I mean, God is the final judge. But these people had evidence in their life to the point where Paul says that he's convinced of their election, that they were among the saved. And uh, you probably don't make a statement like that lightly without fruit. And that's, that's, what he's, that's the whole context there. So here the emphasis, though, in verse 1 now, uh, you know, you know, he says, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't an empty thing. There was, there was, a, it was a powerful ministry. There was a fruitful ministry that happened in your midst, as you yourselves know. All right, any other thoughts before we go to verse 2? All right, who wants to read verse 2 for us? Yeah, Anita. Okay, so uh, again, he's building here, and he says, even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, um, Paul and Silas had been beaten and bound at, at Philippi, Acts chapter 16, uh, the Philippian jailer and the experience that they went through there. They're coming off of that. That's the context here. And uh, so uh, note uh, just the map here. Uh, here... Um, so we uh, see Philippi up here. They came down the road to Thessalonica. So they were coming off a bad experience of Philippi. Not a good one in terms of the Philippian jailer and his family got saved and so forth. But uh, there was some real hard times there at Philippi. They came down the road to Thessalonica. And, uh, you know, they didn't say to each other, you know, we need to be a little more careful this time. Uh, coming into this town. You know what happened at the last place? It was rough on us. We ended up in the innermost part of the jail and they were beating us and it was ugly. Well, you know, let, let's, let's play it safe here. No, that's not uh, how it went down. They were not intimidated. They were not deterred. They were not silenced. Even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, he says, as you know, they knew. They knew what they had just gone through. It was no secret. We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. They were bold coming out of that context. of uh, They were still very, very bold. And the real test of boldness is how you respond when it's maybe going to cost you, when it's going to uh, result in persecution. I think it's easy to be, quote-unquote, bold when there's no threat, right? Easy for me to be bold and talk big in this context, friendly audience. There's only one or two of you that want to stone me. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But it's easy in this context. 
But I think uh, the real test is, what if it's going to cost me? What if I'm going to be persecuted? Uh, what if I'm going to be imprisoned, maybe? Am I going to keep my mouth shut then? And I think sometimes uh, uh, when people are faced with, maybe this is going to cost me in some way, they, they, are, they retreat to silence. That's not bold. That's not bold. Bold is, I am going to speak forward no matter what. And uh, I'm going to uh, not be silent. And so that's uh, where they were here. By the way, false teachers uh, are all about self-preservation. You know, Christ talked about the hireling in in John chapter 10. And what does a hireling do when the wolf comes? Well, he runs off. He doesn't really care about the sheep. The true shepherd, uh, ultimately Christ, but under shepherds, uh, those that are faithful, uh, they will stay by the stuff. And uh, that's where Paul was. Uh, as you know, we were bold. Bold means literally all speech. Uh, they didn't hold back. Uh, and this speaks of, of genuineness. Uh, we were bold in our God to speak. Boldness speaks. And in the context of threats and where it might be hurtful and might, might cost you. We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Notice didn't say a little. There was a, there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of uh, challenging situations going on here. By the way, three times here in this immediate context, he talks about the gospel of God. It's interesting uh, how he states this uh, repeatedly. Uh, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. And that's in verse 2. And then verse 8, uh, well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, willing to, to die for them, their lives, uh, as well, he says. In verse 9, we preach to you the gospel of God. Uh, it's interesting how he states this, uh, the gospel of God, repeatedly. Of course, the word gospel means good news, and it is sourced in God. It comes from God. Uh, he is the source of the, of the good news, of the message. But it also emphasizes the deity of Christ. And uh, let me show you what I mean uh, in terms of... Uh, Interchangeability, uh, interchangeability here. Uh, Romans fifteen sixteen that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Uh, Paul uh, likes to use that phrase, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Spirit. Then just a few verses later, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> well, the gospel of God, gospel of Christ, what's the difference between those two? Is there a difference between those? Is it a different gospel? No. That's my point. And my point would be, gospel of God, gospel of Christ, it really does suggest the deity of Christ. Because it is God's gospel, but it's also Christ's gospel, interchangeable again there. And uh, let's see here. Note that in one eight, Paul spoke of their faith toward God. Here in chapter 2, he speaks of the gospel of God. Both of these imply the deity of Jesus Christ, because elsewhere we read of faith in Christ about the gospel of Christ, these interchanges clearly show the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel of Christ is the gospel of God. It's the same gospel. 
And so, you know, the language here is, is interchangeable at this point. Might be some fine nuances. You might say, well, uh, but I don't know. You say, well, it's sourced in God. Does that mean it's not sourced in Christ? We wouldn't say that, would we? No, no. Uh, I think gospel of Christ, uh, gospel of God, really essentially inter- interchangeable. Uh, and that really speaks to the deity uh, of Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, okay, any other thoughts there before we go to verse 3? Yeah. Well, that's good. Sure. Absolutely. They're they're all tied to the gospel. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting that Paul does really strongly emphasize gospel of God, you know. And uh, we often say gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And, you know, Paul did that too. I mean, it was interchangeable. Sometimes he said gospel of Christ. Sometimes he said gospel of God. But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, interchangeableness there. And bring in the Holy Spirit too, like you say. All right, anything else? Okay, let's, uh, let's press on. Let's read uh, verse 3. Who wants to read verse 3 for us? Yeah, Dave? Okay, so now again, he's dealing with the nature of their ministry. How do we come to you? Uh, were we trying to uh, take advantage of you in some way, exploit this in some way? I mean, he's emphasizing it's from God. Uh, you know, our, our mandate is from God, our message is from God. And, and how do we come to you? Uh, our exhortation, exhortation is the idea of encouragement, uh, to entreat or to encourage. And so they came sharing in, a, in an exhorting type of way, an encouraging uh, type of a way. They were appealing to them. But uh, note, he says, it did not come from error. Um, you know, we, weren't, we didn't have a false message. Uh, we weren't somehow trying to twist things. Uh, it did not come from error or uncleanness. We weren't motivated by... Uh, sensual overtones. That had nothing to do with our message as the mystical religions often tied uh, immoral rites into uh, their message, those kind of teachers. But he says, that's not what we were about. Uh, nor was it in deceit. The word deceit's related to bait, like bait you would uh, use on a fish hook or, or in a trap. Uh, it's the idea of deceiving you, you, you know, you bait people. He said, we, we, weren't, we weren't baiting you. There was no dishonest baiting in terms of our ministry. Uh, we simply shared the message that we have from God, the, the good news from God, the, the gospel of God. And uh, we were straightforward. Uh, we simply told it like it was. And, uh, you know, that's a, good, that's a good way to do, to share the gospel you know, I say years ago, we used to knock on doors and say, uh, Hi, I'm from Southview, and, and, and we're taking a survey. We really weren't so interested in the survey. <laughs> we thought about that. We said, you know, we're not going to do that. We said, hey, I'm from Southview, and we're here in the neighborhood sharing some, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and just start right there. What's, and do you understand what the gospel is? That's what we're doing. That's why we're out in the neighborhood. 
just be straightforward, be honest. And that's what Paul says here. There was no deceit. There was no uncleanness. We weren't talking about trying to take advantage and exploit people sexually or monetarily or any other way. Uh, No, Uh, we had an appeal of of integrity, appeal of honesty. It was straightforward. Uh, That's what God uses. We don't need to play any games. Uh, Just be straightforward. And that's the way he says we were. All right. Um, Any other thoughts on that verse? Okay, let's have somebody read verse uh, 4. Who wants to read verse 4? Yeah, Amy? Thank you. Notice uh, again, uh, the sense is he is uh, emphasizing the credibility of their ministry. And he says, but as we have been approved by God, uh, the idea of approved means to be approved after being tested. And so he's like, we've been put through the test and, we, and we've been approved by God. Now, uh, how do you suppose that they had been approved? What was, the, what was the form of testing that went on, do you suppose, here? I mean, he says we've been approved, I mean, which means to be approved after being tested. Uh, I think that's a great proving ground. If, if you are faithful in the context of persecution and, and the things that you're going, he's just described the things that they went through uh, when he says there in verse 2, after uh, we had suffered, we're spitefully treated, uh, we were bold. Uh, they they were those that uh, had been through some rigors. They'd been found faithful, faithful to the, the gospel of God in spite of what they'd been through. There was no, comprom- uh, no compromise in, in their message. God uses uh, the tested and the verified for further ministry. They are usable. Uh, their ministry was tested and approved by God. It had God's stamp of approval upon it. This was seen, for example, in the missionary calling of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. After some years in the ministry, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So, uh, and then I think that, you know, the, the proving continued on as we go into Paul's ministry. The things that he went through, he just kept on keeping on. He didn't compromise. He didn't water uh, down uh, the message that he had been given by God. And so he says, but as we have been approved by God... Uh, They had been set apart for the special gospel ministry. And it was a unique calling, Paul's missionary uh, ministry, as they were specifically set apart to do this ministry. In a general sense, we're all to be involved in a gospel ministry, but they were definitely uniquely uh, set apart for this uh, apostolic ministry. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Wow, what a tremendous thing to be entrusted with the gospel. Uh, by the way, the church is the, the pillar and ground of the truth. We are the truth center. God has deposited his truth to us, the church. Uh, here he's emphasizing his uh, special ministry, I think, his apostolic ministry, as we were entrusted with the gospel. What an awesome privilege and, and yet awesome responsibility. Uh, it's a stewardship. Uh, and notice what he says. We were entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. How were they speaking? Well, they were speaking boldly. Uh, They were speaking as those approved by God, and they were speaking as those entrusted with the gospel. And so he says, even so we speak, it starts there, right? I mean, if you're going to uh, 
share the gospel, you have to speak. You have to say something, right? You have to open your mouth and see what happens. <laughs> uh, he says, even so, we, we speak. And it's interesting to me, um, Paul talks about share, being bold, but he also asked for prayer to this end in Ephesians chapter 6. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he's asking prayer that he would uh, speak boldly. Now, it's interesting as you think about uh, Paul speaking. It says, as we were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. And his emphasis on boldness. Does that mean that he never had any emotions where he sensed fear and, and uh, there was the normal human struggles as far as sharing? I don't think so. Uh, you know, we go to 1 Corinthians. Remember what he says to the Corinthian church. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. As with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, that's, we can certainly relate to verse 3 quite a bit, right? I mean, here Paul says, I'm very human. <clears throat> I had the, the normal human struggles. So I think boldness is, it's not that you never uh, experience fear. It's that you overcome that fear by your conviction that this is what I'm called to do. And, and boldness is, is speaking in spite of those fears. And so here, Paul says, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. <clears throat> this helps you <clears throat> in, the, in the whole issue of boldness, uh, that you are doing it for God and you keep God in view and, and not the people, uh, not as pleasing men. Uh, this is the ultimate test. How am I going to speak? Am I going to speak in a way that I want to please men, or am I going to speak that I want to please God? Yeah. Well, a lot of people think courage is lack of fear. Mm -hmm. Courage is not lack of fear. You're not afraid to do it. Courage is the ability to overcome that fear. Right. I think that's true. And I think, how do you do that? Well, part of it, your focus, right? You have a God focus here, and you you have conviction. and. Right. And, and you ask for prayer, right? Paul's asking for, you know, he's asking, pray that I'd be bold and I'd speak as I ought to speak too. Uh, we're all human. And, I, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience. There's times I've had great boldness. There's times I've been very yellow. <laughs> I've had both experiences. <laughs> More often than I want to admit, you know, I'd like to say I'm bold most all the time. I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is, but uh, we need prayer. That's for sure. Even Paul needed prayer. I, uh, you know, not as pleasing men. There's always pressure to be a man pleaser. I, I remember we had a, we have missionaries in our family, Janie's side of the family, not mine, but hers. And uh, they were visiting our house and, and this guy said, so we, we started going to this church and uh, then the pastor, the, the, the book he was going through, I think it was Romans, but he got to this section that dealt with immorality. Might've been uh, after Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. He said, he skipped this huge, long section. He's going through the book, expositionally, but he skipped this whole long section on, on immorality. And, and so he kind of was questioning about that. Well, the pastor didn't want to address that. He said, it's time for us to go to a different church. <laughs> you know, I think there's pressure. We don't want to handle hot potatoes. You know, something that's going to get a lot of pushback. Uh, Paul says, no, we didn't, that wasn't where we were coming from. Not as pleasing men. Uh, God entrusted with us with the gospel. Uh, we are those who have been proven faithful in spite of the challenges we're going to give the gospel. That's, that's our record. 
And so we showed up uh, speaking not as pleasing men. We're not here to please people, but God. Yeah, that's who we want to please, God. You know, I often talk about an audience of one. It really doesn't matter what anybody says at the end of the day because when we appear before God, all of us who are teachers, we're going to give an account to him. His evaluation is the only one that's going to matter. We do feel that pressure, you know, people. And we're, I mean, we're all human here too. But uh, Paul's emphasis here, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. This is what it means, I think, to be approved by God. When you don't speak in such a way that you are trying to please men, but you're trying to please God, uh, having been approved by God, that, that's, that's the real issue of being approved by God. Uh, speaking without compromise, don't water it down. Uh, you don't seek to make it palatable and say, well, boy, you know, you know, that, that we're, we're really happy to hear that, even though it's contrary to, the, to what the Word of God says. Paul uh, says this more than one place, Galatians chapter 1, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant, literally slave, doulos, of Christ. If I still please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Uh, His whole thing was, I'm here to please God. Uh, You know, (laughs) I belong to him, and this this is my mission. And he says, uh, but God who tests our hearts. I think you really can't have it both ways. Ultimately, you can't be a man pleaser and and God pleaser. At the same time, you're going to have to decide, who am I going to please? Paul says, as those approved by God, we were those who are here to please God. Um, A lot of times there's pressure to take the offense out of the message. We want to kind of downplay sin. Uh, We don't want to bring in the issue of repentance. Sometimes we want to, you know... Maybe soft pedal grace, uh, lordship, whatever it is. Uh, no, we don't want to do that. God tests the hearts. He weighs the motives. That's the idea. The heart is the, the innermost being, that, that place where we uh, make our choices and our decisions. And, and God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Paul summarized really his motivation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. This, this is our goal. Uh, and here's why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, that every, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we want to be well-pleasing to him. When we stand before Christ, uh, the evaluation is made of our lives. This is not to decide whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's been decided by the cross. The issue here at the bema seat is the evaluation of, our, of the quality of our service. And he says, the aim is to be well-pleasing to him. <clears throat> um, okay, let's see. I guess I got one more slide here. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a good question. Who, who can know it? Well, the Lord. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So ultimately, it is the Lord who knows and who searches the heart. And that's what he says here, but God who tests our hearts. And it's almost like saying, uh, uh, God is my witness, as he goes on to say in verse 5 here, as we continue on there. All right, any other thoughts there? Paul had a, yes.
Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Well, amen. That's, that's a commentary on where we're at, for sure. That's for sure. Amen. So does this mean it's unbiblical to take a selfie? <laughs> it's a mentality. It's a self-centered, uh, yeah, lovers of, of self, as the Bible talks about in Second Timothy chapter 3 there. Right. Absolutely. I think it's one of the, it's one of the characteristics of the end times here. Oh, that's what Paul says there, Second Timothy 3 and 4. Yeah, Amen. All right, anyone else? Yes, Andrew. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some application there. Like if, if we're going to send somebody to the mission field, for example, um, I would want them, you know, even a deacon has to be tested before he's put into position, you know. Uh, so it's like you don't want to send somebody that's untested, unproven, you know, uh, off to the mission field. This is the context here, uh, as Paul is, you know, like I say, they were set apart for the ministry, the special ministry that God had for them. So I think there might be some application in that sense. I think if you're going to be used, uh, just in general, in terms of a, a general application, if you're going to be used by God, um, you know, you're going to be tested. You know, are you going to be faithful? Uh, and, and if you're not, I, I don't think God's going to be able to greatly use you. Not that he can't use people after they have fallen. Certainly he can, you know, which is all of us on one level or another, right? <laughs> we all constantly mess up. But, yeah. Dwayne? Well, certainly. Well, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're all going to appear before the Bema seat. We all are responsible for the Great Commission. That is certainly true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think Paul, again, is establishing the, the reality of his God-approved ministry here. And he's reinforcing that in this context with these people. Um, but, Yeah.
Yeah, there should be some uh, credibility with your life. You know, you go back to chapter 1 and verse 5. Remember what he said there, uh, how uh, uh, the word came, the, our gospel, verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So it's kind of like he's saying, hey, our, our lives and our message matched. And that's the kind of thing that's approved by God. And, and I think he's re- rehearsing this before them because there is something in the background here as far as a, an attack on his ministry. But, uh, yeah, so I think there is application, certainly, for all of us. Um, there certainly should be, a, you know, an, a credibility in the sense of a, a God-approved ministry as we are seeking to share the gospel with people. If, if, if not, if you're living a double life and you're sharing the gospel, it's not going to be long and you're going to lose all credibility, right? Yeah. All right, good discussion. Anyone else? Okay, let's uh, have somebody read verse 5. Who wants to read verse 5 for us? <laughs> Rob, are you wanting to read that? <laughs> well, both of you were pointing at each other, so I wasn't sure, but I thought I'd go with the leader of the home here. So again, we see him kind of defending, thank you, we see him kind of defending uh, his ministry here. Uh, not, for neither at any time do we come using flattering words. We're not here to please people. We're here to please God. Uh, everything we've been through and we keep preaching shows that, hey, we believe our message is from God. We've been entrusted by God and we've been approved by God. Uh, and he says, neither at any time do we come using flattering words. What are flattering words? Compliments? Yeah, and to the end that you are really trying to use people. Or flattery really is the idea of there's, there's an ill intent behind it, that you are trying to use people and take advantage of them in some way. Yeah. Manipulation. Manipulation. Uh, for some nefarious purpose, right? Yes, right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. That's exactly where he goes here. So you're exactly right. And, and he's already talked about not of uncleanness, right? So, I mean, we weren't trying to use people sexually. We're not trying to take advantage of you monetarily, exploit you people, take advantage of you. And that is where he goes. Uh, We did not use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak uh, of covetousness. Uh, Covetousness is the idea of of greed, where I want what doesn't really belong to me, and I'm trying to exploit people and and get it for myself. It's it's that idea. And uh, so the idea of a cloak is is a cover is a pretext that, that covers for greed. Our real motive is, is, is greed, but we kind of we covered it. We were, we were playing flattery games with you uh, to that end. So we weren't that way. Uh, and, and notice again, he says, as you know, and at, neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. Uh, God is witness. Uh, the idea here, it's almost like he vows before God. He appeals to God as his, as, his, as his witness here. Appeals to the Thessalonians what they know 
And he says, but God is witness too. God knows. What's that? There you go. And he was very cognizant of it, right? He was ready to appeal to God here, which he is doing here as his witness. All right, yeah, Kurt. Yeah. Amen. And I think, you know, it's a really big deal in the scriptures when you bring God into it. Uh, let's say Paul is, is not legitimate and he's playing games here and he calls God in to be his witness. Uh, I think you might be flirting with death. I mean, claiming God is so help me, God, God is my witness here, and you're playing those kind of games. Mm, boy, that would be a really serious, serious thing to do. All right, very good. Let's have somebody read verse 6. Uh, who wants to finish this out, verse 6 tonight? Yeah, okay, Vince. Well, there was five hands, so go ahead. Marianne, you have your hand up. Okay. Okay, so you know what he's saying here? It was not about self-serving. It was not about our glory, you know, making something out of ourselves. It wasn't about self-promotion. It wasn't about uh, self-serving. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. We weren't, we weren't, it wasn't about us. But he says, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. You know what? We were, the, we were apostles, uh, Paul, in a technical sense, and those who are with him in a, in a general sense, uh, it, it was legit as uh, they had the highest office, the highest position in the church. Um, the word apostle means sent one. As an apostle in the technical sense of the word, one who has seen Christ been personally commissioned by him, uh, technical sense, Paul himself held the highest office in the church. His co-workers were also apostles in, in a general sense of the word, uh, sent one in the sense of like missionaries, as we see sent out by the churches, the apostles of the, of the churches. That's the word that's used in Romans, for example, as they too were sent out by the church. As such, they were somebody in the church and they could have pulled rank and used it, but they didn't. That's, that's really kind of what he's saying. Uh, when we might have made demands as the apostles of Christ. You might have said, you know what, we, we do have the highest position. It's only right that you support us. Paul makes this argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, too. We could have done that, but he did, they didn't do that. We, we didn't take advantage of that. We, we didn't use our position, our God-ordained position, or God has put us in. We didn't do that. And so as we wrap up here, note that there are eight negatives in defending his ministry here. Now, there's the positives. We'll get to that next week. I'm positive. No, I'm not. I'm not. Lord willing. But eight negatives. Our coming to you was not in vain. Our exhortation did not come from error. Our exhortation did not come from uncleanness. Nor was it in deceit. Not as pleasing men. Neither at any times did we use flattering words. Nor a cloak of covetousness. Nor did we uh, seek, seek glory from men. So uh, the eight negatives that kind of defined their ministry in a positive sense. If I can say it that way. Uh, so what is Paul's uh, ministry all about? Well, he's defending himself and emphasizing, you know, we had a, we had a God-ordained uh, ministry, and it was a Christ-centered ministry, a God-centered ministry. It was all about pleasing him. So I like to say 
it's all about Jesus. I think a legitimate ministry is not about self. It's all about Jesus. And, and it's about the body of Christ. It's about others. When it becomes about self, eh, that that's, lacks credibility completely. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, Kurt? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, amen. Amen, brother. That is so true. Uh, you know, as, as I get done preaching, I, I often say to myself, because uh, it's easy to get discouraged. Even, you know, little things can discourage you, <laughs> especially if you're tired. Sometimes on Monday, I'm tired. But, uh, but I'll ask myself uh, two questions. Number one, did I do my best? Number two, did I preach the word? And, and if, if I've done those things, it's like, well, it's in God's hands here. So it's all about, it's all about Jesus. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's share some prayer items. Anybody need a prayer sheet? We got some prayer sheets up here.